In Romans chapter 12, I'm going to look at the first two verses. I beseech you, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how far we're going to go today. But as we look back and we consider to bring us into context of where we are here and and look at what Paul is doing here, in Paul's letter to the Romans... He so meticulously lays out the condition of mankind without God because of our unwillingness to submit to the one who created us. He he details how we turn our backs on God. He explains that because of our sin, we're so desperately lost for all of eternity, separated from God in hell. He tells us that's your condition, that's my condition, that's our condition. He shows us that even though we are unrighteousness, unholy, and unfit for heaven, that he has such a deep love for us that he provides a path for us to escape his horrific judgment of an everlasting hell by sending the most precious thing that he has, his own son. Jesus Christ, to live among us, to to show us the way to to be rejected eventually by mankind and ultimately executed on our behalf in order to pay the penalty that sin requires. We also understand how he was resurrected from the dead and therefore, therefore satisfying the requirement that is against any who would call upon the name of the Lord for salvation would satisfy the requirement, the righteous and holy requirement that God requires in order for man to go to heaven and spend an eternity with him. It's through faith in Jesus Christ and a belief that he died for your sins and rose again for your sin. Paul then takes some time to to speak about how he desires those who were closest to him, his friends, his fellow countrymen that he grew up with, the Jews to have their eyes open to the truth that had been hidden from them for many, many years because of misinformation and disinformed teaching. Because they had heard it one way and they just, if, if, you, if you start off a little off, a, a little skewed in your understanding and you build upon that, that just small degree of waywardness, it only takes a few years before that small degree of waywardness turns into a great degree of waywardness. Um, I was a pilot. I'm a pilot. I guess you're always a, once a pilot, always a pilot. But I never fly anymore, so it doesn't matter, you know. But as a pilot, and and if I were to take an airplane, and it works a whole lot better, you know, in in California than it does here because we don't really have anything that's really far off the you know. Uh, an island that's out in the middle of anywhere in the middle of an ocean, you know. Uh, so California actually works good. If I take off out of Los Angeles International Airport, heading towards Hawaii, and and I take off and I set my heading for a certain degree of what I have to to, to fly, if if I set my heading only a little half a degree off a quarter of a degree off of where it is that I'm supposed to go. By the time that I reach Hawaii, that little quarter of a degree that when I took off from LAX, it wouldn't seem like I was off base or off path that far. But by the time that I reached Hawaii, that half, that centimeter of a degree off that I'm going, if I didn't make the corrections, if I stayed on the course that I was going on and I never changed or never adjusted my course because of things that were not right. Maybe the wind pushing me one way or the other. If I just stayed on that course, by the time that I reached Hawaii, my little degree would just continue to grow and continue to grow and continue to grow like a pie chart. You cut a pie 
And you see there at the middle, the, 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 arrow of, or the, the degree of separation at the very center of the pie is very, very small. There's not a lot of distance between the degrees of separation between every one of those pieces of pie. But once you get out to the crust, the degree of separation is great. And we like the degree of separation in pies, right? We don't like the degree of separations when you're flying an airplane to Hawaii. Because by the time you reach Hawaii, the degree of separation is so great that you look down and go, hey, my clock tells me there should be an island under me. But there isn't an island there. It's the point, that is, the point that's being, making, being made here is that the Jews, they, they had gotten off a little bit. And as they continued to stay off a little bit, they built upon that misinformation to the point that when Christ came, when God sent his son here on the earth, the Messiah, they missed him because they were off a little bit and they just continued to stay off and stay off and stay off to a point where they began to, to the degree of separation was so far that they couldn't make up the distance. They couldn't find the corrective course to get back on track. And so they missed Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to say. He's going, guys, let's go back and look and see. Pastor Chuck, um, many years ago, um, when he was still alive, he went to Israel many, 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 many times. And one of the stories that he tells is that he um, was invited to speak at a, a uh, kind of a world religion kind of a thing, you know, where many people came into Israel to speak and he was invited to there and many different you know men of faith were invited to go and speak there and he was one of those and as he spoke he was he shared his faith and for the most part it was well received by most but many of the very very orthodox hyper religious Jews they wrote him a letter condemning what it was that he said and really coming down hard on him and he talked to his Jewish guides that he had over there, the tour guides and bus drivers that he had over there, that some of them that didn't have a relationship with God whatsoever, and said, um, listen, um, here's what I got from you know, these, these religious leaders here in, in, in Israel. You know, this is what they said about me you know, and, and what, they're, what they condemned. And they love Chuck so much. They go, ah, don't listen to those guys. They're just really, really, really religious. And they overlook and overtake so many different things. And they, and they blow so many things out of proportion. Listen, don't listen to them. They're way too religious. And, and Chuck said, these are your religious leaders that you're talking about. Ah, don't listen to them. They're too religious. They take things to the nth degree. And, and Chuck said, can I ask you a question? You don't believe in Christ. Could it be that these are the same type of religious leaders that were back in the day that didn't believe in Christ? They were ultra-religious and they didn't see Christ? What's the difference? The, the point, obviously, that is being made is if we're off a little bit, it's going to really, really, really mess us up. And it really has messed a lot of people up. Paul had a desire to see his countrymen saved. And he saw the degree of separation that was there and he said, man, I can't believe I missed it. And so that was his heart. He wanted to reach his brothers. He loved them so, so much. It wasn't something that he was wanting to beat them down. He wanted to see them saved just like he himself was. He wanted to reveal to them what it was that he had seen and what he had found out and what Christ had shown him. And so he spends these chapters 9 through 11 that we just got done with, 9 through 11, speaking to them specifically, his friends, his brother, his brothers, his countrymen, his fellows that he went to school with, those that he's in society with, lived in their culture, for he was a part of their culture. He was a leader in their culture. And here he was trying to lead them to see what it is that he saw. And, and, and so for chapters 9 through 11, he does that. 
And, and, and he gets to a place in chapter 11. I'm going to have you go back just a couple of verses back into chapter 11 and see this, this doxology, this, 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 this just sudden breakout of praise that he has for God. He, he ends this, this, this uh, lecture, if you will, this, this uh, uh, desire to speak words to his brothers and to you and to me and to anyone who would listen about the goodness of the Lord and, and how God has planned it out and why the, the Savior had to come, why Jesus had to come. And all of these things he's laid out for everyone to see. And he gets to a place where he just he doesn't hold it in anymore. He just says, oh, verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You have a little exclamation point probably in your Bible right there in verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. Another exclamation point. What's Paul saying? He's going, it's mind-blowing. It blows my mind. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to God that it should be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. He just, he just looks at the Lord. He considers the Lord. And, and as he has gone through chapters 1 through 11, he gets to a point where he goes, I can't hold it back anymore. Understand, this is the God we serve. This is the one that is trying to reach us. This is the one that is his, in love with us, loves us so much. He loves you so much. He loves me so much. He is not here to condemn. He is here to convict. He is here to convict us to come to him. He's, called, he's calling us to become a believer in the one that he sent out of his love. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. You remember this verse. God demonstrated his own love to us or towards us in that while we were still what? Sinners. Right? Christ died for us. It's a sacrifice. It was a love that God had that he was willing to sacrifice the most precious thing to him, his son, in order to give you and I life. Simply so that we could have a choice to do it. Knowing that many of us would reject it. But it didn't stop him anyways. He did it. He loves us. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. For you and for me and for us and for our kids and for our future generations to come. How unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are way past finding out. He's so much beyond us. We can't figure out all that God is because God is God. Who's known the mind of the Lord to become his counselor? Who's first given to him that we should repay him or that he should repay to us? Nobody. It's a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical statement. For of him and through him and to him are all things. It's all about God, he says. Can we understand? Paul's going, can we understand that it's all about God? This is his plan. This is who he is. This is how much he loves you. He loves you so deep. He loves you so, un, you know, uh, you know, so, you know, unflinchingly. He, he, is, he is willing to go to the extent of the universe to get and garner and gather your salvation. He's so great. We may not totally understand his ways, but one thing we do and cannot miss is that God loves us and he loves you and he loves me and he loves anyone who would come to him. Even before they come to him, he loves. Do we understand that? Do we understand that? That's why he says in verse one of chapter 12 I beg you therefore when you come to a therefore in scripture what do you do you go back to find out what it's there for you know why he has written therefore in that passage 
He's written therefore in that passage because he wants to draw your attention back to the last few verses that he has just written that culminates everything that he'd been writing from chapters 1 all the way through chapters 11.32. It culminates God's heart for us. He says, and so, and so knowing God and knowing the extent that God would go for you and for me. You see, the word therefore Do you know that Paul uses that word or a form of that word 49 times in his letter? 49 times in 16 chapters, Paul uses the word therefore. Do you know why he uses that word therefore? Because he's establishing a logical, not argument, but a logical case for following Christ, for following God, to know the heart of God, to know what God's plan for mankind is. That salvation is by faith and not by works. That that peace with God is through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus' death, his, His life, His death, and His resurrection. That sin is summed up in two men, Adam, by whom all are condemned under sin, and Christ, the second man, on whom all can be forgiven of their sin through Him of baptism, the picture of dying to who we used to be and are now resurrected to a new life and with a new purpose and a new mission. Using this word to remind us that we are not who we used to be, but we are now something different. To remind us that we no longer owe the world or the flesh anything. We're not debtors to them, but we're debtors to God because He gives us eternal life. It's to speak to us, that word therefore, He uses it logically to speak to us, to not become arrogant in our new life as Christians, as if we're deserving of eternal life more than any others, especially the Jews. We're not deserving more than the Jews. God still has a plan for them. That's not the message that I'm going to teach today, though. I will teach that in soon coming weeks. Here's the thing. Paul lays out the argument. He lays out the statements. He lays out the the case that we are lost without God. But God saw our condition and he sent his son to give us life. And his plan is awesome and it's perfect and no one can come against it and no one ever will. Oh, how great and deep are the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Because we now know the heart of God, I beseech you. That word beseech is actually a word that comes from uh, a, a root word, uh, paraclete, paraclete, which is basically a comforter or a, someone who comes alongside. We understand is that, that the Holy Spirit is called the parakletos, which is one who comes along to guide, to direct. Here's the thing. This word beseech is a word that I'm coming alongside of you. I'm here to come alongside and to to encourage you on everything that I've just written, I'm coming alongside of you. And in so doing, I'm coming alongside and showing you and laying out the logical argument to follow Christ. I'm coming alongside of you to show you. I'm coming alongside to teach you and to show you and to lead you to the Lord. But in so doing, the word also carries with it a, a, an impassioned, Uh, desire or begging, if you will, a begging. I want to come alongside of you and I'm begging you to listen to me. I, I can't say anything more important to you than this. I'm begging you, I'm begging you, I'm begging you therefore to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I'm begging you, I'll come alongside. I'm giving you everything that I've got. I want you to hear, I want you to see and I'm begging you to consider not just what I've said, but I'm begging you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. 
I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I'm going to have to move through this very quickly. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, knowing what he has done for us and knowing how much he loves you, I want you, I'm begging you to present your body a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. I'm going to focus on that for just a second. Sacrifice. Sacrifice speaks of an altar. Sacrifice speaks, or an altar, excuse me, speaks of a willing offering or a willing death. A willing offering or a willing death. Altar literally means a place of slaughter. And so here Paul is saying, I'm begging you by the mercies of God that you would present your body a living place of slaughter. Well, that sounds encouraging. Let's just go away with that. How encouraging. Pastor Don said, let's present our bodies as a living place of slaughter. Oh, I feel so much better now. I went to church on Sunday. Here it is. Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow after me. What is cross? What is a cross? He didn't say, hey, take up your necklace that has a cross on it. That's not what he said. Hey, take up your ring that has a cross on it. That's not what he said. He didn't say, hey, take up the tattoo that you put on your arm that's a cross or on your thigh or wherever it is else that you put it. Take up that cross and follow. No, he didn't say that. He says, take up your cross. And the picture that he is painting for you and I is he says, take up on a daily basis a form of execution where you die to you and you live for me. That's what he's saying. You got to execute who you used to be. Because who you used to be is not who you are today. He says, I'm begging you by the mercies of God that you, are, you, you present your, your body as a living sacrifice. Focusing on the word living, it's easier to be a dead sacrifice, isn't it, than to be a living sacrifice. What's that? Okay. It's easier to be a dead sacrifice than it is to be a living sacrifice. Why? Because to die for a cause seems to be a whole lot easier than to live for one, doesn't it? I, you sit there and you go, man, I would, you know, I would give my life for that. I'd die for that. But what about, would you live for it? Would you live for it? It's easy to say, hey, I'll sacrifice because, man, it's a one full sweep, swoop and, man, I'm done. I'm dust. Maybe you saw just this last week that four Marines and a Navy, Navy soldier have been killed by a, by a... Well, he's not a terrorist. A terrorist in our country. And there are many that are out there going, I would have done anything. I would have, I would have stepped in front of a bullet for them. And, and, and maybe you feel the same way. I would have stepped in front of a bullet for them that they would live. The, the point is, easy. It, it, it might be easier for us to say, I would take a bullet for this person or I would take a bullet for that person. Let's take your spouse. Let's take your kids. Let's take a friend. Let's take a parent, family member, brother, sister. I don't know who it is. I would take a bullet for them a stupid song out there that my son used to sing a long time ago you know he didn't sing it he just he listened to it and i i he did he listened to it i mean let me just rephrase that he was not into the song he listened to it one day and i adam showed him so here it is it's the woman you gave i mean no it's adam that gave i'm just messing with you adam here's here's the thing it's my friend you know no they were all into this bruno mars guy they they listened to a couple of these songs of bruno mars and and there's a song out there he goes i'd take a grenade for you and i go could you not come up with a different analogy i mean how realistic is that Baby, I would take a grenade for you. That just doesn't... How many people walk around with grenades? That doesn't make sense. Huh? 
Okay, he doesn't say anything about World War III in the song, I don't think, but I take a grenade for you, and you go, it just doesn't make sense, you know? And so I started mocking him, you know? You know, I'd throw myself on a nuclear bomb for you, you know? And, and, and you just come up with these stupid statements out there that just are unrealistic, you know? Uh, you know? Whatever. What, what's that? <laughs> That's a big danger. Dating a hot dog for you. Now, whatever. But here's the thing. It's easier to die for someone oftentimes than it is to, to live for someone. You know, you might look at your spouse. You might look at your friend. You might look at your son or daughter or, you know, brother, sister, family member, whoever it is. And you go, man, I would die for them. Let me ask you this. Is there strife in your, in your relationship with that person? Is there issues going on in that relationship? Here's the thing. You might die for that person, but will you live for that person? It's a lot harder to live for that person. Because it takes a daily sacrifice where you have to lay aside who you want to be in order to become who that person desires you to be or how you can actually minister to that person to minister to that person is actually going to take sacrifice on your part i just want to go to a game oh but she wants you to stay with her and 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 go to the beach Uh, i want to go to the game honey i would take a bullet for you but i am not missing this bucks game (laughs) here's here's the thing it's a living sacrifice. It's a denial of you for someone else. And here's what Paul says. I'm begging you by the mercies of God, therefore, that you present your body a living sacrifice. You see, a dead sacrifice lies immovable upon the top of an altar, whereas a living sacrifice can crawl off the altar when it chooses. We can always remove ourselves off of an altar if we're living a sacrifice. We can do that. And, and so it's, it's a harder thing to live, a, 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 be a living sacrifice, but that's what Paul's begging you and I to be. We've got to move. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Be holy. How do we be holy? Jesus says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. How can we be holy? How is it that we can be holy? It's by a relationship with God on a day-by-day basis. It's by looking to the Lord through His Son, Jesus Christ, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that God desires us to live. Are we going to make it all the time? No. Are we going to slip? Are we going to fall? Yes. Are we going to blow it? Yes. But here's the thing. Is that our character? What is our character? Our character, hopefully and prayerfully, is is uh, summed up in this. Lord, I slipped, I blew it, but that is not who I want to be. God, I want to be the man you want me to be. I want to be the woman you want me to be, if you're a gal. I have to kind of... It's sad that I have to actually throw that out there nowadays, isn't it? But here's the thing. I want to be who it is that you want me to be. And God, I didn't do my best this time. But God, forgive me and help me to not fall in that area ever again. I want to follow you, Lord. I want to be holy. Show me what that is. Show me how to do that. I want to be acceptable to you. He says, be holy. Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. How can you be acceptable to God? It's by loving him, man. It's by living for him. It's by living for him. How do I know how to live for him? Well, open the word and find out what the word says that God desires you to be. And then do that. Well, I just don't know what God really wants me to do. Open the word of God and find out what, what a Christian looks like, what a follower of God looks like. Then do that. And if you still have a problem after you've done all that, come and see me and we'll, we'll look at something else. But I'm confident that if you look into the Word of God and you find the life that God wants you to live in the Word of God, you're not going to be coming to anybody else asking for answers of how you are to live. It's very confusing in our day and age today of how to live for the Lord because people are taking the Word of God and twisting it because they take portions of Scripture in order to establish a case and fight a case and stand on a foundation of something that's not a foundation at all. 
Take the whole of the context of Scripture and look and see, is God pleased with this or is God displeased? Is this something that God is into or something that God is not into? And if it's something God's not into, I don't care. The world be damned. Our nation be damned. Let's do what God wants us to do. Let's follow after God. Don't care what everybody else says. Follow after the Lord. Because you know what? It's coming. The day is coming and very fast approaching. I have never seen the degradation in this American you know, society that we live in so fast. Lynette and I went out to dinner last night and we were sitting there talking. I don't know that in our lifetime have we ever seen such moral failure in our own country so quickly where Christianity is now become the evil religion. And even Islam, we're afraid to talk about Islam because we're afraid of what they're going to do to us. We've become a nation of cowards that want to please self. That's it. I got something to say about that here in a second. Present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If you're an underliner or... No, you're, you are an underliner in your Bible. Okay? I'm not ever going to say... I probably will say it again. But when you hear me say, if you're an underliner, know me to say this. You are an underliner in your Bible. You are a circler in your Bible. You are a note taker in your Bible. If you do not have verses 1 and 2 underlined, you need to do it. If you don't have this word circled in your Bible, you need to do it right now. If you need a pen, we'll make sure you get a pen. If you need a pen, you raise your hand, we'll get you one. Here's the thing. Reasonable, the Greek word for reasonable is this. The Greek word is logikos. L-O-G-I-K-O-S. Logikos. What do you think, what English word do you think we get out of logikos? Huh? Logic. Right. Logic. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, acceptable to God, which is your logical service. Logikos. Get our English word logic or logical from. Service is a word that literally means worship. You can circle that word, service, put a little note down, and put worship. It is our logical worship. It's logical to follow and sacrifice our body on a day-by-day basis, sacrifice our wants, sacrifice our desires for the sake of God. It's just our logical, reasonable worship to the Lord. How do I worship the Lord? Well, Chapter 12, verse 1 is a great place to start. And 2. Got to hurry. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's take the second half of the verse first. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, I don't know what the will of God is. Okay, what is God's perfect will for my life? What is God's will for my life? Well, I'm proving what... Paul says you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How? By looking up at the first part of the verse and, the first, and, and all of verse 1. Present your body a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logical worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you're telling me that's the good and perfect and acceptable will of God for my life? Yes. Yes. There is no more clear-cut thing that I can say. Yes. That is the perfect will of God for your life. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, God's called us not to be crannies, but to be trannies. You go, "Uh uh-oh. I know, I just played with a word right there, didn't I? Because we're living in a day and an age where if you hear that word tranny, what do you think? Yes, of course, I'm not even going to have you say it. 
But you know God's called us to be that? What? Transformed. It's called us to be transformed. Because isn't transsexual being transformed into something else? But if that is, are you saying, Pastor Don, that it's okay to be a transsexual? No, no, no. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to go back to the Word of God and find out what does God talk about that. Well, if, it's, if, it's, if God is against that life, Logical worship would be that I don't become that. I don't transform my life into being something that God didn't make me. The word, thank you. The the word says, do not be conformed. That word is another word you need to circle in your Bible. And you need to put a little note, little line up to an area where you can write the little Greek word in there. You don't have to, but I would really highly recommend you do this. The word conformed in the Greek is suskamatsio. Now, here's, here's how you spell that. S-U-S-C-H-E-M-A-T-I-Z-O. Suskamatsio. Now, here's, here's what that word is saying. We get our English, or the, the root word of that word is schema, H, S-C-H-E-M-A, schema, where we get our English word, what do you think? Huh? Schematic, scheme, scheme, scheme. What this word literally means is to be fashioned or patterned alike. When you write out a schematic, you draw out a schematic. This is what the fashion or what the building is supposed to be like. You write it out on a schematic, and this is what it's supposed to show in reality. This is on paper. That's what it's supposed to, this is what it's supposed to look like in real life. That's a scheme to be fashioned or patterned alike. And what Paul is saying, here's the thing. Do not be schemed or do not be fashioned alike or patterned alike to the world. Don't be just like the world. We're not called to be crannies. But we are called to be in a transformed state. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform, you circle that word in there, and this is going to be real simple for you here. In the Greek, the word is metamorpho, M-E-T-A-M-O-R-P-H-O-O. And I'm going to ask this question, what English word do we get out of that? Metamorphosis. What do we know about metamorphosis? Probably the most well-known, most well-known uh, illustration of metamorphosis is what? A caterpillar to a butterfly. Caterpillar. <laughs> okay, it's not working with the tadpole, bud. But uh, 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 did you hear? What, was that Adam? Okay. <laughs> metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. <laughs> caterpillar to a butterfly. It's such a great analogy there because here a caterpillar is is ugly. I mean, caterpillars are kind of ugly. I mean, you kind of got some caterpillars that look kind of cool, you know. But caterpillars, if you really look at them up close, they they look pretty gnarly. But and they have what a million legs that they walk around on. They look like they're the Michelin Man, you know, because they're all you know got roly polies on them and and they just walk on the ground. They get stepped on all the time. But what they do is they go, they crawl up in a tree or they crawl up into some place and spin a cocoon. And in that cocoon, what happens is that they go in there and basically who they used to be is shed and they emerge from that cocoon in this, this battle to get out of this, this, this strong cocoon that has protected them in that gestation period, metamorphosis period. And all of a sudden they come out and they come out something different than a worm that was walking on the ground just days earlier. They come out as a, it, it didn't have as many legs. It has what, four legs, six legs, something like that, a couple little antenna comes out and it's got these huge, beautiful wings. 
And he goes out there and it spreads those wings. And all of a sudden, what used to be crawling on the ground is now floating around in the air, seeing it from a butterfly's view because, and it's beautiful. You go from something that's low on the ground, ugly and roly-poly, to something that is beautiful and just grand. How often do you see a butterfly but that you don't go, man, that's a cool-looking butterfly. You know, you look at some of those butterflies that are black with the, you know, with the, you know, the spots on them that have like, an, it looks almost like an eyeball, and you go, did God just have an awesome day? I mean, that was just like God's awesome day where he was going, I am going to take my little airbrush and I'm going to just blow people's minds with the designs that I put on these little butterflies. Maybe you don't think that way. I do. I just think, man, how fun that would have been for the Lord to do. But it metamorphoses from one thing to another. And that's what, that's what God through Paul is calling us to do. Do you want to know what God's perfect will for your life is? It's the metamorphosis from who you used to be into who God wants you to become. Now I want you to just bear with me for just a couple more minutes and then we'll end. Our national anthem at this moment in our country is not the Star Spangled Banner. But it's a song that was penned by our modern day, by a, a modern day American hero and superstar by the grand name of Lady Gaga. The song, our national anthem in this modern day is born this way. Of her words, Mama told me when I was young, there's nothing wrong with loving who you are. She says, because he made you perfect. She makes a reference earlier at the very beginning of the song and actually later on in the song. Uh, you may not want to live for him, but you might want to you, you live, and I can't remember the exact words, but for H-I-M, thus referring to God. You want to live for God, this is how you do it. You don't have to live for a guy. Live for God. Live for God, H-I-M, Him, the big man in the sky, you know. Mama told me when I was young, there's nothing wrong with loving who you are. She said, because He, referring to God, made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, girl. You'll go far. Listen to me when I say, I'm beautiful in my way, because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Oh, there ain't no other way, baby. I was born this way. She goes on. Don't be a drag. Just be a queen. Whether you're broke or evergreen, you're black, white, beige, chola descent, you're Lebanese, you're orient, whether life's disabilities left you outcast, bullied, or teased, rejoice, and love yourself today because, baby, you were born this way. No matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgender's life, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born to survive. I was born this way. Hey, same DNA, but born this way. Our national anthem today. So, it's shaping our society and it's being broadcast as the new norm. If you don't get on board with this, you're going to be alienated and ostracized, especially in our public schools, systems, higher educational institutions, and sadly to say, even in our churches. One of the things that they warned us about out there at the pastor's conference is you better change your bylaws because it's coming to your doors. We're having, I have no doubt, somewhere down the road, we're going to get attacked or sued for hate speech or for not performing same-sex marriages. It won't happen. It's not going to happen in this place. I'm not going to deny the Word of God. And if that means I go to go to jail for it, so be it. I'll try to send tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to deny the Word of God. I'm not going to do it. If we have to hide and meet secretly somewhere else, hey, so be it. We'll do it. Church did it before. 
Remember, that's how Saul got saved. He was out trying to find the secret churches that were preaching the word of God because it was so dangerous to actually express the word of God openly and freely because they were going to die. And Saul, before he became Paul, was seeking them out in order to kill them and, and bring them and, and, and put them into prison and to break up these, these Christian churches. So, yes. So here's the thing. I don't care what what the world says we need to do. I'm going to do what God says. And I hope it didn't offend you when I said earlier, America be damned. I'm going to follow after God. I love my country. I'm a patriot. But if my country turns its back on God, don't make me choose between my country and my God because if you make me choose between my country and my God, my country will lose. My God will win. Because my country didn't die for me. My country didn't, doesn't live for me. God does. And my country is not going to be here someday down the road. It's not going to be here. Hey, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me, let me, you don't, try not to talk so much here. Here's the thing. We need to, we need to understand what the word of God says. Because the degradation in our society has gone so much that it's begun to infiltrate the church so much that pastors from the pulpit are beginning to switch. They're beginning to take the word of God and remove the heart of the word of God. And they begin to say, it's okay to do these things that in the Bible says is not right. And they're explaining away scriptures, trying to explain away scriptures in order to make a lifestyle fit what it is that the rest of culture has accepted as the new norm. And here's the thing. They do it because they want people in the seats because that's what pays their bills. They're nothing more than a hireling. And you're not going to get that here. You're not going to get a pastor that just says things so you are happy and satisfied so that you'll continue to come here. I refuse to do that. And I know that there are thousands of other men out there that are willing to stand in a pulpit and say exactly what I'm saying to you right now. But I also know that many of those men are falling by the wayside too. And the church is being overrun by charlatans getting in the pulpit and twisting what the word of God says. This anthem that we have out there, what does this anthem say and, and what are we now called to accept as the new American way? We live however we want because we were born this way. And, and, and this might come as a little bit of a shock to you, but I do agree with the title of this song and much of what this song says about people. We are born this way. But what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm born this way, but know this, gang. You hear this from the pulpit. I believe that this is what God would have you to hear. I may be born this way, but God loves me way too much to leave me this way. We don't have to stay this way. God knows that if I act on living my life based upon the way I was born, it's going to lead me to a separation with the capital H-I-M. As Lady Gaga refers to him. The argument is, well, one of the arguments is, well, I'm drawn to a same-sex partner. Who are you to deny me that right? Well, I'm going to just tell you right now, I have no right to deny you who you're going to sleep with. However, God has placed certain parameters on how we are to live our lives if, if, if we want to be in his will and live for him and spend eternity with him in heaven. God's the one that set the rules, not me. There's not a pastor alive that sets the rules. The Supreme Court doesn't set the rules. Nobody sets the rules. God sets the rules. This is his planet. This is his rule book. You either abide by his rule book or you don't. But know this, there's always consequences to breaking rules. And the consequence of breaking his rule and breaking his law and breaking his love and breaking his way is that he will say in that day, depart from me, I never knew you. Does that make God happy that, that, that people go to hell? Absolutely not. That's why he sent his son. That's why he loved mankind so much he sent his son to die for them. 
But this new norm that we have in our society, the new norm that we're, is beginning to run rampant across the face of this globe, it's not the norm according to God. This is society's norm, but society didn't die for us. And society is not who is going to determine, determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And so here's the thing. It's God's playing field. What I have no right, nor does Lady Gaga have a right, nor the President of the United States have a right, nor does the Supreme Court have a right to do. Not even public opinion. We have no right to change God's word. We have no right. Make it say the opposite of what it is that he said. It's dangerous to say that God is okay with sin by delabeling what God has called sin to no longer be sin in, in the court of public opinion. I, I, because here's the thing. Let's take this logically as Paul has taken this. What if you're sitting here today as a married man and you say, hey, I feel I was born to sleep with as many women as I possibly can. Let me ask you this. Do you act on that impulse? Husbands, if you're having a problem with that answer, just look at your wife sitting next to you and look at the look in her face. She'll help you with the answer. You know that look that she is giving you right now, even though you're afraid to even look at her, you're not even brave enough to turn your head to look at her. You know in her look, she's saying to you, you know, that would be the last impulse that you'd ever have because the next bed you're sleeping in is going to be your casket. You don't do that. But I was born this way. I'm a guy. I want to sleep with women, you say. Is it right? It's not right. You don't do it. It's not right. But I was born this way. Shouldn't I be able to have the right to do that? Yeah, but there's consequences to it, such as you aren't going to have a marriage. Well, but I was born this way. You see, to act upon impulse is the most base act of a human being that he can possibly do. Cut me off on the freeway when my family's in the car and I immediately want to perform that police sweep, that police sweep rear end thing to make your car spin and wipe you out. That's my impulse. Have I ever acted on that impulse? You might not know, but I'm going to tell you right now. No, I haven't. Why haven't I acted on that? You've had that feeling too. Maybe not to make him spin out, but maybe to get up next to him and, you know, ding his door or something. Maybe to wave the we're number one signal to him as he's behind you, in front of you, you know. Here's the thing. You have this impulse to do something. Why don't you do it? Because it's not right. You're gonna, there's a consequence to those actions. There's a consequence to those actions. And we are living in a society right now. We're living in a culture where it says, act on your impulse. It's, it's, it's okay. Even God's good with it. That's false. That's untrue. That is a wolf in sheep's clothing that's out there telling you that things that are unholy are holy. It's wrong. Don't do it. Don't buy into the lie. Well, how do I know what's a lie and what's not? Get your nose in this word of God. You won't know God's word. You won't know God's way. You won't know God's will unless you understand God's word. Right? I beg you. Therefore, brethren, I beg you, therefore, church, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your logical worship. And do not be conformed or schemed or patterned alike to this world, but be transformed or metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to follow after God. I want to know what his perfect will is. Pick up a copy of the message. You'll be reminded, get in the word. Get in the word and know what God's will is. Know what is sin in God's eyes and know what is not sin in God's eyes and then live by it. Let God do the work in your life. I was reading something this last week of how um, many have, uh, 
theologians are actually jumping in on this game and they're beginning to try to dis, to, to take the, the teeth out of the passages in Scripture that talk about... And, and I don't mean to just pick on homosexuality. That's not my point. It's just that's the flavor of this day that we're living in right now. It's what we are, what's hot on the presses right now. Uh, next week, who, who knows what it's going to be next week or next month or next year? Who knows? And we'll talk about that. But here's the thing. There are theologians right now that are trying to devalue what it was that God said in his word. Well, Jesus didn't say it. Paul did. So therefore, it doesn't mean anything. Well, when Paul said it, he only said it once. And he had other things in front of it. So it's not really that important to Paul. So let it, let's not make it that important to us. He really wasn't talking about homosexuality when he said, men sleeping with men and women sleeping with women, doing what is not natural. He wasn't really talking about homosexual relationships. Theologians, not, not university professors. We're talking about Bible seminary professors teaching their students this. It's happening right before our eyes. Some of the greatest institutions out there right now are have staff, theologians on staff that are beginning to teach that the Bible is errant. Some of the greatest colleges that are out there, you'd be shocked to hear some of these colleges that I, that I know of. Theologians, they say, well... We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We just don't believe that everything is true in Scripture. How do you do that? How do you say that this is inerrant and yet not everything is true? That doesn't make sense. Let's twist the words and make it all muddied so that we can't figure it out. Let's just, let's just not talk about any of that. stuff. Let's just, let's just be so confused about everything so that we can just accept everything. I'm ashamed at these professors, these theologians that are doing this, trying to just get their name out there as being the next cutting-edge guy or cutting-edge gal. I want to make a name for myself. Well, you are making a name for yourself, but it's not in the right camp. And though you may have the world's acceptance, what you do not have is heaven's acceptance. And I would be very, very frightened if you begin to mess around with God's Word. God's Word says, listen, if anyone takes to or adds... Adds, for, adds to or takes from what this word says. Let their name be taken out of the book of life. I'm frightened for those guys. For a moment of acceptance in this world, for a moment of pleasure to have everybody look at you, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Gang, I don't expect you all to be theologians. But I want you to be informed and I want you to get into your word so that you know when the counterfeits come up and they're coming at you when you go home today, it's coming at you when you turn your TV on. On your way home, when you turn the radio on, you're, the counterfeits are there. They're there. The way you can guard against it is get into the word of God and stay in the word of God and ask God to reveal himself to you in here. You don't need me. You don't need a theologian. You don't need a Bible seminary. You don't need... Billy Graham, you don't need whoever it is that you look at as being the greatest teacher in this nation or in this world. You don't need them. You just need the Holy Spirit working inside your life to reveal what his word says. And I trust God with you. I've said enough. I know that I'm late. But guys, <laughs> I think every single one of us in this room see how fast we have fallen in this nation. And if it takes an extra 20 minutes to pound into our hearts and to remind us, guys, we need to be on our guard. We need to be on our guard. I think that this is kind of one of those messages that Paul gave in the upper or in that in that room that day where the guy fell asleep and fell out of the out of the window, you know, and you know that story. The guy falls out of a window in the middle of Paul's message. I'm telling you, Paul was a Calvary pastor. He was a Calvary Chapel pastor. He spoke a long time. The, 
you were supposed to laugh at that. That's kind of a funny joke. That was funny. You should have laughed. Thank you. Here's the thing. The guy falls out of the window and dies. You know that it says Paul went out there, prayed for the guy to receive his life again. He got his life back again, and Paul went back in and finished his message. That didn't even stop his message. Calvary pastor, man, I'm telling you. Thank you. Oh, that's good. How we can end. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, we are being bombarded with the enemy's advancements in our society, in our culture, in this world. But we are not surprised. We're hurt. Lord, we may be even suffering from a little depression and grief because, Lord, we see what's happening. People that we used to hold in high esteem have turned their backs on you and many are beginning to continue to say that they're holy or say that they're following you when in all actuality they're not. God, as the man that you've called to be pastor of this church, I'm calling on you, O Lord, to guard these sheep's minds and their hearts from this wave of destruction that is sweeping over this nation and over this world right now. Make them cognizant of the pitfalls and the deception that is running rampant in this world. Help them to have a fervency a newfound passion, something that they have never experienced before in their life. Help them to have this passion to open your word and to see what you have to say. To draw close by to you by drawing close to your word, seeing what your word says and letting you wash them with the water of your word that they would be spotless and without wrinkle before your throne. God, I pray that you guard the hearts and the minds of every saint of this church, of every saint that calls you their own in this nation, in this world. I lift up this flock. I can't answer for any other flock. I can only answer for this flock. And I know one day, God, I'm going to have to stand before you and answer for the words that I shared to this flock. And God, I pray that this flock, you protect, you guard, You give them a conviction that when a counterfeit comes their way, when a deception comes their way, Lord, you reveal it to them and give them a check in their heart. Give them a check in their mind. Give them a check in their spirit that says, yeah, that's not right. I am not going to agree simply to be accepted by those around me. And Lord, even though I know it's going to be hard, it might be a one of the kids that are in this room that will go into a college one day and stand in it, be in a college classroom and all of the rest of the kids agree with what a professor is saying, but one kid in this room is going to have a trouble answering an affirmative to what everybody else is answering to and they will have that battle going on in their life. God, give them at this moment the wherewithal and the fortitude and the perseverance to stay the course to not bow their knee simply because everybody else bows their knee, but God, that they do your will. They follow your word and they don't bow their knee to what everybody else wants them to bow their knee to. And it may cause them heartache. It may cause them pain. It may cause them friendships. It may cause them even acceptance in a class may cause them a grade it may cause them a job it may cause us you know relationships whatever it may cause us our freedom give us the strength to stand in those times Lord but prepare us for those days as they are fast approaching prepare us today I love these sheep I love my my brothers and sisters in this room. 
I am just a sheep along with them. Lord, I am nothing greater than they are. I am just, I'm a brother that is concerned for all of us in this room. I'm casting a warning sign out there, a warning call. Protect us, Lord. Protect our hearts and our ears and our minds and our hearts. Let them be yours always. And do not let the enemy win any ground in our lives. Consume us, Lord, with you. Consume us with your love. Consume us with your word. Consume us with your grace. Consume us with your purpose for our lives. And help us to live the remaining days that you've given each and every one of us in such a way that we will one day hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because Lord, one day we will stand before you. And if we've done all to stand and we have stood, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, if we have done all that we can and we have stood, one day we will be amongst the majority in heaven when we stand with you with the choirs and with the saints and with the waves and the sea of saints that are around you praising you and thanking you, God, for eternity where there was no more sin and no more night, no more sorrow and no more loneliness and no more darkness, no more hatred, no more deception, no more loss. Lord, we are going to be with you and one day it'll all be worth it. But until that day comes, Lord, help us to stand and stand strong in you. In Jesus' name, amen.